0: I am Neil Edwards, and this is The Leadership Range, where we elevate the voices of black and brown coaches, leaders, and allies, and have soulful conversations about all things at the intersections of leadership, relationships and teams, well-being, and inclusion. Today's episode features Michelle Davis Howard. Michelle is a licensed mental health professional, professional coach, coach trainer, and Brene Brown Dare to Lead Facilitator. Michelle and I have a real conversation about black trauma, how this trauma lives in black bodies and the impact it has on relationships. I am reminded of Brené Brown's work as I sit down for this introduction. She uses a quote, soft front, hard back, wild heart, as an approach to wholeheartedness and leadership. She also talks about the impact trauma has on people and how it can become an impediment to the notions in the quote, and when and what leaders need to do to create safety. You are gonna hear Michelle and I, a black brother and sister, share not only what this black trauma is, but how it has personally entered our lives and bodies. Black folks listening, you might hear yourself in our stories. I hope you know you're not alone. We talk about signals to notice, the kind of awareness you need to have if you're white, and offer simple direction on what you can do in the moment to be a good ally to black colleagues. We also share what you can do to bolster existing relationships with black friends and colleagues so you have something in the friendship and colleague bank when the next inevitable horror story hits the news. For our black brothers and sisters, you too have work to do to strengthen relationships with white friends and colleagues. Because although asymmetrical, There is a degree of reciprocity necessary for interracial friendships and colleague relationships to grow, become more inclusive, and to thrive. This really was a great conversation. Imagine yourself hanging out with us as you listen. I hope you feel like you too are in community because that's what this conversation was really about. Michelle, hello, and thank you for joining me on the leadership range. I'm so thankful that you decided to say yes and to join me in this conversation. I think everybody's going to be in for a great treat because I know a little bit or a little more about you. So I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. But um, just thank you for being here. Welcome.
1: Thank you for asking me.
0: Of course. So before we get into our topic for today, I want people to get to know you a little bit. So I know that you're a coach, right? We do some similar work. We're both organization and relationship systems coaches, and we both train coaches in that with CRR Global, but you're much more than that. You are a therapist, a counselor, you got all sorts of things. So why don't you (laughs) tell people who you are professionally?
1: Professionally, I am A trained relationship and systems coach. I am also a licensed therapist. I am also a director of a learning and development team because learning, I think, and growing is like that's part of my passion. I'm also um, certified Dare to Lead facilitator uh, with Brene Brown. So that's exciting work as well. And it all sort of connects and interweaves together. So much power in all of it.
0: Yeah. Now, I know that you do and you have done some work with what some might call the least of us or young folks. And you have a passion. Why don't you share a little bit about that?
1: Young people to me are um, it's like they're the jewels. They come out. They don't have choices about how they're brought into this world, the parents that they have how they're um, brought up, all of those things. So we have a responsibility as adults to give them the best of who we are. And if we're not doing that, then we're creating greater challenges for them. And it's kind of like visiting all of these difficulties that may have existed in a parent's life or a mother's life or in a father's life visiting that upon a child, and then visiting that um, once more, and then once more, and then once more. Breaking that cycle by helping the helpers work with people differently, working with people through relationship and connection, blending in empathy in a way that breaks that exterior, that, that walled off, tough exterior, lack of emotion kind of thing. Breaking that up, to give, give kids more of what, what they deserve. That's, that's a passion of mine.
0: Yeah. And how long have you been doing that work?
1: Oh my gosh. Now you're trying to age me. Um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm trying to elevate you.
1: (laughs) My journey has been, it's been kind of strange. I first started off as a juvenile probation officer and it might surprise people. Omaha, Nebraska is where I came from as a juvenile probation officer, started off there. And then I decided to go and get my master's degree. And then I moved to Denver, Colorado. And that's where I ultimately got my license. I got my master's in Omaha, but got my licensure for counseling in Denver and started working in the field of human services. Sort of by accident, wanted to start counseling. It was an opportunity to get my license. And that's kind of how I landed. And then it's just sort of started to flow from there.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing on top of another. One
1: thing on top of another.
0: Coach, daringly, oh, yeah. facilitator. Yeah. Leader in an organization. Yeah.
1: And it all feels so a lot of what was happening before, you know, it's kind of like it was the thing that I wanted to do. I was guiding it. But the coaching. I've gone through CTI, so I've been trained in Coactive, but I didn't get certified there. There was something about ORSC that really kind of filled my spirit. I'm like, I have to have more of this. All of that felt purposeful. It's like leading into CTI, going into there, going into ORSC, coming upon uh, the work of Brene Brown, all of that sort of like lit and guided me into, I feel, the reason why I'm here
0: hmm Purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Full circle. So ORSC is an acronym, O-R-S-C, that's Organization and Relationship Systems Coaching. We mentioned that earlier. So if you hear ORSC, that's what we're talking about. So Michelle is a trained coach two times over and a trained uh, Brene Brown Daring Way facilitator and a licensed professional, a licensed counselor or a licensed therapist and a a master's degree trained therapist. So, um, you know, she's bringing the credentials along with her. (laughs) (laughs) So Michelle, you've been at this for a while and you're a little shy about how long you've been doing it, but what I- I
1: 1995. 1995.
0: 1995. All right. Look at there. (laughs) That's That's a professional. All right. So What I'm interested in in capturing for folks is, you know, I've said this, I think on, on the first couple of episodes, I believe everybody is a leader. Yeah. And we are always expanding if we're doing the work in our leadership. And there's an edge. We all have edges that we need to get beyond to continue to expand our leadership. And this happens over time. And I like to start by having folks share a little bit about how their leadership has evolved and how that range has expanded over time. So if you could take us on a little bit of a journey, perhaps a story of your life and contextualize it based on you as a leader, based on what you, you know and what you've noticed about yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I love that question, you know, because I do believe everybody's a leader and I felt that way with myself and it's almost like an excuse that kept me safe because I would lead but I didn't want to lead people. So it kept me safe and contained without being front facing, you know. No one could judge me. No one can kind of see what I'm doing. I was leading an effort. I was leading like an initiative. I would do those kinds of things and that felt safe and contained. I felt like I can do that cuz I did that work well. And it got really great reviews, I remember. One of the things that I like to brag a little bit about is I wrote this curriculum that got recognized by the Obama White House, um, a fatherhood curriculum, and they vetted it for potential use in their fatherhood program. So mm, like,
0: bang I, the line.
1: yeah, that was exciting. <laughs> we
0: well, say you have to big up yourself the <laughs> Obama administration. Yes.
1: So that was exciting. So I was, I felt like I was leading in those, those spaces. But when it came to leading in a way that people could see me, That was edgy for me because that meant that people would judge me in terms of whether or not I was good or bad, effective or ineffective. And that was the edge. So, my journey in doing that wasn't that long ago. I'm going to say maybe about six or seven years ago, I started into that. And I had this imposter syndrome. And I think, in part, the imposter syndrome and the judgment piece does come in when you are a leader of color. As a leader of color, it's not just you that's showing up, it's your color that's showing up with you. And all of that gets judged at the same time and you gotta work harder and there's more of you on stage. And I didn't want that. And I was pretty shy as a kid and you know, being on stage was scary. Having all eyes on me was not the thing that I ever wanted to do, wanted to have happen. So that was really edgy for me. But there was somebody in my life that sort of was calling me forth and seeing something in me that needed to come out, come out of the shadows, come forward. And I'm grateful to her and seeing that. So my journey started there and just a little bit at a time, I started to become more comfortable In myself as a leader. I mean, it was a journey. There were moments when I didn't feel confident. I had the imposter syndrome. Conversations I would even have about the impact I was having on certain team members being a leader of color. Like, where was that coming from? Because you feel that challenge and you question in your head, is this because of me, Michelle, or is this because me, Michelle as a black person? Mm-hmm. That question's you know always there, and how do you confront that without feeling like you're playing the race card? So it's been a journey. I feel like I'm definitely much more comfortable now than I was, but it took a while for me to get there and actually feel like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I'm okay.
0: <laughs> and now you speak. You yes. train people. You're in front of audiences, and you were shot. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was shy, I was shy, too. Yeah, I would not go on stage. I would not speak in the front front crowds. I remember, and i'm gonna I'm just gonna say this, because when I met you, we were doing the same thing. We were auditioning I know, role, <laughs> which we had to compete for and mm-hmm. show up without preparation. We just had to perform. And we did crazy things. I remember seeing you in that room dancing. Yes. Doing improv. Doing it alongside someone else and co-creating. And I thought, wow, she's massive. She's big. Her energy is filling the room. She's definitely in. That's what was in my mind. Wow. I saw you showing up and shining, you know, rocking the space. So, yeah, it's wonderful to hear the story from the shy girl, uh, the young professional working on it, not with people mm-hmm. <laughs> hiding behind the initiatives and the projects. Yeah, uh, A lot of people can, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can because that was also me and the work that we do now, the work I do as a coach, as a facilitator, uh, you know, as a, when I speak in front of crowds the work itself is always immediate and right in front of people all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Judging is real time. Yes. Even now, even now on a podcast, even though this is recorded.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's funny you bring up that audition piece because that was another edge for me twice. I was like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. I'm <laughs> not going to get it. And the <laughs> deadline passed by. And then I was like, oh, and then it was got extended. So I'm like, okay, I'll just apply. And I was shocked that I actually got the invite. So even that 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 edge and that reluctance to be called into that space was still there. But again, it was like on purpose. Yeah. You showed up. I showed up.
0: And you shone. So let let's get into it. This topic, and this is a topic that you brought, and this is amazing. Yeah, this is an amazing topic. I think a lot of folks are going to be fascinated and they will want more. So what we're talking about today is Black leadership and trauma and contextually the, the impact of trauma on people who are Black getting into relationship with people who are white. Yeah so there's you know that just feels like a lot right away so let's um let's unpack that a little bit first of all can you help us with making sure we understand what you mean by trauma
1: yes there's trauma and i don't want to minimize or negate trauma that people actually feel when something really horrible happens to them. I don't want to use the word lightly is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. And there's a form of historical trauma that I think exists within the Black community, particularly in the United States, where you sort of hold yourself, it's like you're holding it in your body and you're waiting for that other thing to sort of snap or capture you or hit you or hurt you. All of that is a form of trauma. It's like, you know, it's been coined like post-traumatic slave trauma, historical trauma, but it's like, it's the thing that you're waiting for the other thing to happen. And you're always on edge about it. You're just always on the cusp of the thing that's gonna take you out. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of trauma. and i want to say that not to minimize the horrific things that maybe other people have experienced that you know is really traumatizing such as you
0: know yeah so this is very specific to the black experience right and in particular because we're we're in the united states right now we're talking about the black experience in the united states based on history Right of the relationship between the United States and people who are black. Yes. Right. The descendants of former enslaved people. Yeah. All right. So let's let's go further now. So we're talking about this. There, there's something here about black people getting into relationship with white people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What what's going on? What what is the story that you want us to get our head around here?
1: So as a leader, when you walk into, it's like black faces and white spaces, when you're walking into those spaces, you might be invited into a relationship with the white person. And thinking of like an office or an organization, invited into a relationship with the white person, but there's often a reluctance, um, I think in many black people, and I'll talk from my perspective, And the question that goes off in my mind is, but can I trust you?
0: Hmm.
1: Can I trust you not to hurt me? Not a physical hurt. Can I trust you not to betray me? Can I trust you not to dismiss me? Can I trust you not to re-traumatize me by not acknowledging the hurt and the pain that I and the people that look like me go through? Those actually hurt. When you walk into work after an incident like George Floyd, and he wasn't the first, and it's unacknowledged, no one pays attention to it, but your heart is hurting, that's traumatic. So when you walk into a space and you get invited into relationship with white people, and that goes unacknowledged, they might be looking at you like, why is it that you don't want to be in relationship with me? Why don't you wanna go to the happy hour, hour on Friday? Why don't you come to our home for the Christmas party? Without any understanding that, I don't know that I can trust you. We haven't built enough of a relationship yet where I know that I can trust you to see all of me, all of me, not just the parts of me that I let you see when I show up in front of you in those white spaces. So oftentimes I think the trauma comes before the relationship and that does not get acknowledged by white people because they don't see it. It goes unacknowledged. It's almost like there's this invisible, well, I won't say, no, it is invisible to them. I think it's kind of like, you know, we're getting rained on and we're getting wet. They're not getting wet. They're not getting impacted by the same things that we see day in and day out. So everything looks great for them, but it doesn't look great for us. yet they're still trying to be in relationship with us and I'm looking at them like, "Do you know I'm hurting? Do you know that my soul is dying inside? because I just saw an eleven year old that was just playing with a gun in a park get shot, and I walk in and you smell at me as if that did not happen how can i be in relationship with you
0: yeah yeah i'm, I'm feeling that night i feel an urge to to share a story and i, I may share it a little bit later but it, there's a question that i have is that I'm, I'm imagining for people who are white listening to this or you know white allies taking this in might be thinking how am i to know and what am i to do yeah. What do you how do you respond to that?
1: Make it your business to know.
0: Mm.
1: Make it your business to know. Cause it's available. That information is available. Um, make it your business to know. And if you're not knowing, ask the question. How are you doing today? You know, you you, you seem a little sad, what's going on? Don't assume a familiarity that I have not yet. Been able to offer to you and get curious about that. Maybe it has nothing to do with me being aggressive and, you know, an angry Black woman. Maybe it has nothing to do with me being um, unfriendly or standoffish. Maybe I'm just hurting. And maybe if you got curious about that and patient and waited and just kind of leaned in with empathy and got curious and made it your business to kind of know what might be going on in the world that might be impacting Michelle today. That would go a long way for me to see that you pro- you care, you care.
0: I love the make it your business to know. What, what, what that says to me, um, people who are white and listening to this, when you walk in a room and you see Michelle and she is sad, what I think I'm hearing is notice that Michelle is sad. And put on your courage pants and name it. Right. You look sad. What's going on? That's what I think I'm hearing. Check in with the human being who looks sad. And the courageous part of this is checking in with yourself and noticing if you are reluctant to ask that question and why. Yes. from checking in, you know, there could be a lot, um, we can, we can make them up, but it's important to check in with yourself. And in conversations I've had with white friends, I've heard this time and time again, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I could. And what I'm hearing is, you know, do it, Mm -hmm. just do it. Just do it. Get courageous and do it and and be empathetic. And if you have to develop those empathy skills, do the work. Yes. Develop those those skills around empathy.
1: I recently said to someone, make the purpose, and I'm going to name the purpose as healing, more important than the person. Mm -hmm. Because the person that you're making it your business to know something more about or what might be going on with them. They may reject you. They may say something that you get offended by because that could happen. But don't let go of the purpose. The purpose is to lean into the intention to heal the division that we come up against that you know we can't reach across and bridge. If the healing is more important than the person, you're going to keep going.
0: This sounds like something in the neighborhood of relationships, Michelle. Yeah. The healing lives in the relationship. Yes. That's the thing that's between you and I. This is divi- the division is the wound. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a, leaders take responsibility for their world. Exactly. And there's a relationship here that has, there's something in it that is wounded. And if I am a leader, I have a leadership obligation, responsibility to heal where there seems to be a wound. Yes. And there's a sign that there's something here because at least a signal that tells me something's off and that's Michelle is sad. So let me check.
1: Yes. There's so much truth in that because oftentimes when you know when we get into the routine of just our work and our lives, we don't take the time to notice that those that we are leading may be experiencing something that we need to tap into. And part of that to me, I don't know if this is the classical definition of servant leadership, but that's how I serve in my leadership. It's just to check in on you, see how you are doing. How can I help? What can I do for you? How can I support you? How can I be of assistance to you? That to me, it's like reciprocal. It's a reciprocal relationship. If I'm leaning in as a leader in that way to you, I'm going to feel heard. I'm going to feel the empathy coming from that. And that's going to come and give me the, the desire to kind of lean in even more and back and forth. And that trauma that I'm speaking of can start to recede. I'm not saying leave but the relationship comes forward. Mm
0: -hmm. The relationship begins to hold it. The relationship begins to form. You know, there's something I want to throw in here. This isn't a transaction. How are you doing? I want to check in with you. I came here to help you. (laughs) There's a requirement of of empathy. So if you don't mean it, you're better off not showing up. Exactly. (laughs) Because you're probably going to piss off some Black people. Yes,
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. So, you you know, it has to be authentic. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, you you have to want relationship. This relationship has to mean something. So, so Michelle, what do we, what do we say to folks who think that this is nonsense in business, in, in corporate America, when, when, when we take that attitude that this has no place in business, what does that do? What does that do to the work environment? What does that do to the black body?
1: You just basically cut everything off. You cut people off at the knees because we're not automatons. We're not robots. We're people and people have emotions. We're complex human beings. And we come in with everything that we exist, existed with prior to walking in that door. So it's an impossible thing to do. It's an impossible ask for us to shut that off when we walk in the door. It's coming in with us. We can hide from it. We can try to shut it off, but it's still there. And it's going to show up in the way that, you know, when we're talking about the emotional field, it'll show up in a way, it'll show up some kind of way. So what I would say is it depends on what you're wanting. If you want the kind of work environment, the kind of culture that feels safe and is authentic and is Trusting, then you have to deal with, you have to allow that to come in because that's how you're going to foster authentic relationships. Without having that come in, it's just performative.
0: Mm-hmm. Just performative. You know, we hear about and people talk about often in teams and at work the need for psychological safety. And what's occurring to me right now is that there are some additional things necessary in order to create psychological safety in the workplace where there's a mixed company and everybody has a role to play in that, right? So when you have a diverse team and there are people on that team who may have experiences or have this historical trauma in their body, and specifically we're talking about today, Black trauma. There's work to do there. There's something to recognize about that. And there's a role that leaders need to play in, in creating that psychological safety. And, to, and, and, and uh, you know, as a, as a leader, beyond the one-on-one relationship, I'm hearing if you have a team and your team has is mixed, right? Or oh, it has one black person on it or whatever, you might even have a role with the team to make sure the team recognizes the need to work with this potential or the reality of this Black trauma. Someone here is struggling with something. Someone here on our team is having a difficult day or a difficult week or a difficult six months or a year or life, (laughs) you know, um, not to be coddled, but to name what is true and to make that a part of the system within which the team exists. So as to continue to grow... And strengthen the relationships on the team and of the team in and of itself as a whole.
1: Absolutely. I think it's also important to note that we and I, as a Black person, also have a responsibility to, if this is what I'm wanting, then I have to create the opportunity for that to come in. If I'm holding a steel door up against, my heart and the opportunity for relationship to come in then it's going to be hard for it to come in i have to create pathways for what's being to actually come in and what i mean by that is there are oftentimes you know uh, that you know the the tough exterior the bridges basically you know creating those bridges creating the opportunity for those bridges to be built that's the healing that takes needs to take place if i'm feeling it from my team in forms of acknowledge i get it i see it i feel that you're hurting if i get that that to me is like a pathway oh okay there's a there's an entry there that you're trying at least i want you to at least try
0: it may just be the eye of a needle but <laughs> you need a thread but some path through in order to connect in relationship. You know, I already mentioned this here on the podcast, but you know, didn't grow up in the United States, came to United States for college and graduate school. And, you know, I had all my various experiences, but it wasn't until graduate school where I think I, experience at least in the united states something that was traumatizing because i'm black that i still carry and so i can relate to this in a lot of ways since then but that was my first experience and here's what happened i was on the i was driving into town in a southern state on the first day of the legislative session and there was a debate and a protest going on that day for the maintenance securing a spot or the right or the privilege to fly and hoist the confederate battle flag on state grounds around the state house and so i'm driving into town and there's all these people out there and they're dressed in confederate battle attire and guns and trucks and flags hoisted on cranes and there's a lot of traffic and it's a, a a large median in the middle of the road and dual uh, lanes on either side and I'm, I'm driving in the left lane of this dual carriageway and there's people on the median to my left on the driver's side and I'm going slow and I don't really know what's going on and these people are yelling and screaming and I look out my side window and I just look into the eyes of this person and this face was just mashed up in hate and anger and, I, and their eyes were peering into my car and I just saw hate for the first time. I've seen bias and bigotry, but I saw hate. I wasn't human to that person. And that stri- I mean, that just went right into my core. And as I yeah. turned to look through my windshield, someone spat on my windshield. So I spitting at my car. So basically spitting at me. And I I have to tell you that that, you know, you feel that in your body. Yeah. And that never went away. And I know that I was once a very trusting person up to that point. Everybody got the benefit of the doubt. I didn't even have benefit of the doubt wasn't even a thing. It was just I was just trusting. In new relationships. But as I spent more time in that city, in that region, I found myself beginning not to trust new people who are white that came into my space because this behavior and this attitude was ubiquitous and it, it stole something from me. What it also did was it stole something from the people who were white, who were open hearted but I couldn't give them my trust right away. So it hurt them too. And these things live in our bodies. And I still carry that. I am away from it geographically. I am trusting, but I have not forgotten because it's in my body. Mm -hmm. So now relationships have to get formed in a slightly different way. And I'm very careful not to carry that steel wall with me, but I can't undo having hate looking at me and someone seeing me like basically a cockroach and spitting at me because my skin is black. I can't undo that. That's just a fact that happened. So, you know, I'm not a therapist, but, and you are, is that trauma? Yes,
1: absolutely. It is. I mean, it's still there. Wow. The first experience that I had with anything racist, and I didn't even know what it was, was in the second grade with someone calling me a nigger on the school bus. I still remember that. I still remember from that day forward, my dad meeting me at the bus stop every single day after.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I was no longer safe.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's... Like I said, it steals something from the body. It steals something from the system that we live in. It steals something that's life-affirming from our body and from the existence of our communities. It's harmful to everybody. So um, this is probably a tough conversation for people who are white to get into to say, Hey, you know, notice you're sad. And then they're probably like, I'm afraid of what I might hear. So I want to, I want to pull back a little bit. I'm thinking about friendships or relationships at work, um, that already exist where there's some resonance in that relationship. Mm -hmm. I feel the urge to say this, that is a place to practice. You know, and this, 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 this—I'm speaking specifically to people who are white listening to this, right? Go to those black colleagues, and I think it's okay to say, "Hey, I heard this podcast. I was listening to Neil and Michelle, and I really want to be better. And I'm wondering if we could design something around this." And to do that without expectation. Yeah. Because you might get rejected. Patience.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Patience. Patience. And I want to say that a sadness was my example, but it may not just be sadness. It might be hesitance. It might just be reluctance. Kind of you know, just a reluctance to lean in. Don't make up a story about why they're not doing it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Check it out. That's the practice.
0: I wonder if you have, Michelle, a line, a question, a thing that they could ask to enter this conversation. I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, I'm putting my spot on, the, on myself on the spot too, <laughs> but what might be the question that they ask?
1: I don't know if it's so much a question as if it's an acknowledgement. I feel like an acknowledgement goes a long way because historically, not even just historically, it's happening now. There's been such denial of the Black experience. That's become two worlds, such absolute denial. I would say, believe the expert. Believe the expert. They are an expert of their experience. Believe them. If you can convey that you believe that their experience is their truth. May not be yours, but it is their truth and honor that. Show up in that I way. love
0: where this is pointing. So, you know, you said acknowledgement and I, I want to share a little bit more about that for folks, for clarity, because I like people to have a, a tip, a something that they could take away and, and use. And that might be, hey, Michelle, I noticed that you seem sad today. I just want you to know that I see you. And if you need anything, let me know. That's an acknowledgement, folks.
1: That's good. Yeah. You don't
0: need to ask if she's okay. Because you know she's sad. You can see it. You're intelligent.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. If you know something has happened in the world, and you don't even know, like, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure how to approach. What you just offered there, Neil, is just enough. I believe that's just enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that simple, folks. <laughs> that's the needle. Acknowledgement. People want to be seen. And sometimes they don't want to speak and they don't feel like they want to be heard in the moment. They just want to be seen. And acknowledgement demonstrates that. That is perhaps one of the easiest, uh, simplest demonstrations of empathy uh, that you can offer. So I think that's a good place for us to begin to close this down, Michelle. How can people connect with you?
1: Well, I am on LinkedIn, and that would be linkedin.com slash n slash Michelle dash Howard dash reveal.
0: All right, we'll make sure that that is in the show notes. So if folks wanna connect with you, get close to you, they'll know how to find you on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for bringing this important topic to the conversation today, black leadership and trauma, the impact on people who are black getting into relationship with people who are white. Thank you for your time today, Michelle. Black trauma lives in black bodies. The baseline on trust in black-white relationships may be negatively impacted, and this creeps into the work environment. There is no one in particular to blame. It is simply part of the American experience and therefore the corporate experience. It might be one of the deepest shadowy aspects of U.S. culture that remains unacknowledged and unaddressed. It affects everyone. It harms most of us. In particular, it impedes and harms relationships between black and white friends and colleagues. All leaders have a role in operating in this massive set of embedded relationship systems that we who live today did not create. We may perpetuate it if we are not careful. White leaders have a responsibility to make it their business to notice. Black leaders are called to open pathways for relationship entry. White leaders have a responsibility to be patient and to stay. Black leaders are called to work towards softening the front. White leaders have a responsibility to acknowledge. And black leaders have a call to accept acknowledgement. I hope you enjoyed sitting with me and Michelle today. You can listen to new episodes of Leadership Range every Monday. Connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash in backslash n edwards you can also connect with me on twitter or instagram if you have a topic suggestion or want to join a conversation here with me send an email to neil at neiledwardscoaching.com i look forward to you listening to future episodes